Welcome to The Third One Sucks, where we rank every movie in a franchise from first to worst. I'm Dan Ellis. I'm Mark Bell. And I am one with the Force. The Force is with me. What are we going to talk about today, Mark? (laughs) It is time for Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Rogue One is a sci-fi space opera film written by Chris Weiss and Tony Gilroy, directed by Garth Edwards, and produced by Lucasfilm Limited. It premiered at the Pantages Theater in Los Angeles on December 10th, 2016, and stars Felicity Jones, Diego Luna, Ben Mendelsohn, Donnie Yen, Mads Mikkelsen, Riz Ahmed, and Forrest Whitaker, among others. What is our fan review for this week? Well, Mark, oh buddy boy, our... (laughs) Our fan review this week comes from Common Sense Media. It's a parent review written by Scott S., who says, One star, bogus one. This is the first Star Wars I've ever walked out on. It appears that many enjoy the final third of the movie, but I just couldn't even tolerate the first third. Hook, curtain, next. I really enjoy bogus one. It's such a dumb statement. Bogus, more like bogus one. Am I right, y'all? <laughs> what if that was that? What was that? What if the, our entire podcast had that vibe, Mark? What if? <laughs> and we had a soundboard and air horns. Yeah, we're just going full like shock jock morning zoo radio. That's yes. the new format. <laughs> yes, Marky and the Dan would be our, yeah. our name. <laughs> I'm pretty sure if it's Shock Jock Radio, you have to be Big D. Big D. That, I'm pretty oh, sure that's true. It's peop- Marky and Big D. Look, look, you and I both have existed in circles where Ska has existed within those circles. <laughs> yep. And I tell you, buddy, as soon as Big D and the kids table hit the scene, that was a nickname for me. <laughs> <laughs> I still have friends who will just call me D. So, nice. absolutely. Yep. <laughs> All right, let's get into another Star Wars story. Let's. I've got a good story, as I seem to for most of the Star Warses. Mm -hmm. I've got a good story for the first time I saw Rogue One. I saw it with my buddy Brian, Mm -hmm. who is a big Star Wars fan and also just like my heterosexual life mate. Of course. And my buddy Adam, who is my oldest friend. We have been friends for over three decades now. And we all went and saw it together. And we, like, Adam was... Like Adam and I used to play with Star Wars micro machines together in grade school. Oh, remember micro machines? So we all went out to see it together. <laughs> remember micro machines? And this is the honest truth because heretofore, my Star Wars cinema experience, I had seen the classic trilogy when it was re released in like the mid 90s. <laughs> and then I'd seen the prequel trilogy. This was the first Star Wars movie I saw where I cried in the theater. Oh, interesting. And that seems like a weird reaction to Rogue One. <laughs> I can kind of get it. There's a very specific moment, uh, and I'll talk about it when we get there, but I looked over to my buddy Brian, and Brian has a very similar relationship to Star Wars that I do. We liked it as kids and sort of try to avoid Star Wars dialogue now. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I looked over to him, and he had tears in his eyes, and I had tears in my eyes, and we were just kind of like looking at each other like, yep, here we are. <laughs> Aw. That's that's so pure and sweet. Man, I guess we just we'll just start at the beginning. I don't need to get too much into my overall thoughts on this movie. Okay. But I had a I had a good time with this movie. I had a real positive first viewing. This movie was to me a moment of like, yeah, Star Wars is rolling. Okay. Like when this movie happened, it was 2016 still, a slightly different Star Wars time. 
Sure. And I had a lot of optimism that Star Wars was going to be able to find a way to tell interesting stories in the new cinema age. Nice. How Do you remember the first time you saw this one? The, so the first time that I saw this one, uh, it was an interesting experience. I don't know. Uh, I, w- I didn't see this until I think probably, I think it was a year afterwards. I think it was 2017 when I saw this. Okay. It was either 2017 or 2018, but I was late to the party. I was like watching it at home. I was watching. I think I streamed it. I'm trying to remember exactly how I how I consumed the media. I think I streamed it like via cable, like like our, our like Directv or whatever fucking thing <laughs> sure. we have. It's, it's we were raised in the 90s. It's all cable. Um, <laughs> just like everything was a Nintendo. It's all cable. So. Yeah, I, I watched it, and I think this is the only Star Wars I watched with my grandmother. Well, that's I did not expect that. It it I it was something. Um, I I was at a point where like my illness was like I probably shouldn't be home alone for a week by myself, so we should have somebody else down here just in case. Mm, yes. Okay. So yeah, she was like, staying with us for a few nights for that. Um, and. Yeah, I watched. I just I watched it with my grandmother. So we we watched what is a tragedy of a film, really. Uh, like, yeah, absolutely. And not in the way that most of these other Star Wars have been tragedies, but <laughs> it's still like a, like the film. The text itself is presented as a tragedy. I had fun with it. It was fine, and then I didn't watch it again until today when we were recording this. For the sake of grounding this film within the Star Wars timeline. Mm-hmm. This movie opens about five or six years after the official formation of the Galactic Empire. Okay. Now, we're going to have a bit of a time jump, but our opening scene is only five or six years after the end of episode three. Okay. That makes sense. So, we open on a, like a farmstead? Very classic Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look, here are some people who are quiet farmers. The scene is quickly disrupted by a squad of, I think, what we call death troopers. Okay. <laughs> Why? Don't know. They're legally distinct. Death troopers. Death troopers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they are just like stormtroopers who have been painted black, if you're curious. Yep. I believe they're officially billed as being designed for stealth, but there's no way anyone's looking at those costumes and thinking they're stealthy. Right. (laughs) But they have showed up here to forcibly capture a man named Galen Urso, Mm -hmm. who is like the dad of... So the farm scene that we meet at the beginning of the movie has a dad, a mom, and a young girl. And we learn that Galen used to be like the lead scientist on an imperial laboratory that was creating the death star so at some point uh he had like a crisis of conscience he fled he took his wife and his daughter with him and research stalled and eventually because they couldn't complete it without him they came to get him and that's where this movie picks up with the the imperial director krennic and his squad of death troopers invading the farm to take galen back with them yeah uh, we are at the very beginning of this movie, and already it's obvious to me that these uh, Star Wars stories this is, is, don't have mm-hmm. compelling villains. 
the way the rest of the Star Wars is, 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 is tend to. That is accurate so far. Yep. Orson Krennic is a very, very good, uh, like, Imperial officer. <laughs> he's He's a good, like, stiff-backed, sneering, middle-aged white guy, yeah. which is what most of the Empire is. Of course. He is... Not necessarily great as, like, the top-billed bad guy. Mm-hmm. But he's who we've got for this movie. <laughs> yeah, but we got him. We have Discount Tarkin as our yeah, main villain. Yeah, absolutely. We've got low-rent Tarkin here. We do. Who has showed up to forcibly retrieve Galen. He kills Galen's wife. Mm-hmm. And their daughter, Jin Urso, who is one of our two leads in this film... Mm-hmm. escapes they had, they had had kind of like a previously established escape route because when you flee from the empire you live your whole life knowing they might chase you down mm-hmm. so there's kind of a locked-in plan there Jin takes off we'll figure out what happens to her later but galen gets drug back presumably to go relead the group that's making the death star i mean like Jin just runs away and hides in a rock hole like a hole like yes it's it's a rock attached to like a little like one person bunker to like yeah. disguise it. Sure. Okay, movie. <laughs> That's okay. It's fine. I keep rolling, I keep being think a movie. The supposition was this was planted here specifically for that purpose, right? Yeah. I like I it seems like this was specifically designed in case they needed to run and hide from when the stormtrooper people sorry, death trooper people come to find her. Right, right. <laughs> It's an opening in some ways not dissimilar from episode four Mm -hmm. in that it opens on like some poor farmers and the sort of kickstart of the film is they are shot and the the kid has to run. But obviously Jin's much younger than Luke. And in this case, Galen isn't killed. He's just hauled away. Mm -hmm. But it's still got some thematic similarities. What's interesting to me is it starts off kind of darker than a lot of Star Wars films do. It's a Mm -hmm. real, like, in this opening scene, you kind of get the hint. As you said, this is structured more as a, like, a drama or a melodrama than a standard action movie in some shapes. Yeah, like, tragedy's not the right term. Uh, Whenever I was making jokes earlier, it's like... Right, right. It's not like a literal tragedy, but, like, tragic things happen to our lead. Yeah. And the tone kind of is established here early that it's... I'm not going to say it's a dark movie. It's a Star Wars film. There's no, only so like down that a Star Wars film's going to get. The t- see, the, this is this is kind of part of I I I've been trying to kind of figure out over the last hour how I feel about this movie, and I yep. think I think how I feel about it is is exactly the same as the tone that it landed on, and that is meh. Like it's <laughs> that's fair. It, it feels like it doesn't want to like to commit to the tone that it should be. Like, I feel like it, it, like it's trying to deal with a lot of this heavier stuff and it's trying to deal with more of like these like morally great characters. And then it just, mm-hmm. it still lives in that kind of star Warsy campy space. Yeah. It's still got like clamp camp and glamor to it. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't, for me, at least I don't think that works the way they want it to on paper, Mark. A story about an orphan child who has to, like, figure out that they need to have principles and live beyond just themselves if they want to be able to, like, 
meaningfully interact with the world and take care of the people they care about. Uh, like, and it ends with something horrible happening to our leads. That sounds like a lot of the things I like, right? Right. Sure. Yep. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of the media I consume and go, give me that shit. I love that shit. But this one doesn't land for me. And I think it's a tone issue. I think it's just, it's afraid to commit to truly making things feel dire. It just wants to show you dire things. But, but to me, it never quite, I don't ever feel like, even when people die, I just go, oh, that sucks. I don't feel I think bad. That's a fair criticism, yeah. I, I, I want to, but I don't. And like, I, again, uh, maybe we'll have to end up putting like, a disclaimer in the front of these movies that says these are just our opinions. <laughs> don't murder our families because of them. But like, it's, it, it, I don't know. I don't think it landed for me. And at least now I feel a little more confident doing this podcast with you. Cause I feel like I have a point of view. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's something. Yeah. I'm interested that this feels like the first time. I think the first time across the star Wars movies where I have also been, actually confident in this podcast I, we've talked already about my hesitation wanting to talk about star wars on the internet mm-hmm. and the first because we're watching them chronologically we watched some of the weaker movies to start and it felt like we go, we were going in knowing we weren't going to love them and we were trying to sort of find a way to frame an interesting discussion around that yeah and i, I think I we had opposite i think we had some good discussions on those honestly just because absolutely because they weren't good, uh, or, or like at least to our taste, and right, they, yeah, definitely. It, it, and so, like that got a little more of an interesting conversation out of some of those films, other than what would feel like we were kind of dredging through them otherwise. And yes. it, now I'm happy that I've landed somewhere on one side or the other because my experience was so mad, and I know people love this movie. I like a lot of the like I like some of the characters and I like the premise, but like they're it's just not being executed in a way that I I would really uh, like vibe with. Like, I I'm, actually think you're you're not in really you you're not in particularly dangerous territory here because I think this movie okay. gets like a solid C plus okay. kind of you know in its critical reviews and things and it's sort of of mixed reception among the fandom. Although I do think Star Wars people like it more than like the cinematic reviewers did sure but i seem to remember it standing like in the like high 70s in its reviews if i mean it felt pretty 70 ish whenever i was watching it (laughs) there are it's just like this podcast and i'm staying on track there's pacing issues i feel throughout this movie where like is a big complaint for sure like i in that last little bit where there's all the stuff blowing up we do have fun like i do agree with uh what scott s up top where he's like there's the that first third he walked out i can kind of see why just because i feel like it takes so long to find its footing and like resting yeah there's some fun stuff up top with the family and her getting separated and then she escapes and she's rescued by and we're almost there but like in there's like a middle section where I feel like everything takes way too long. I think all of that is valid critique, and I definitely have some issues with the pacing of this movie. Okay. Well, I will say, since we're since we're talking overall impressions, yeah, I like this movie a lot. It's not sure. like an all-timer or anything, mm-hmm. but I'm real positive on this movie. The intro works for me. It does have some pacing issues. I think that's very fair, although many of the Star Wars movies have some pacing issues. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. Especially the ones that we have watched so far have all had their fair yep. share of pacing issues. It's just that this one is the first one where in the middle of it, I almost fell asleep. <laughs> that, yep, I think that's a very valid take. I don't share that particular one, but I think it's mm. real valid. <laughs> Interesting. All right. So, Give us back Jin on track. Urso, our, the kid, the daughter who ran away, yep. is rescued by Saw Guerrera who is the leader of a like a radical militant wing of the rebellion called mm-hmm. the Partisans. At this point, the rebellion proper isn't even, it doesn't exist yet. We're only like six years post Order 66 or what have you. But he is the leader of the Partisans who are going to become like a militant radical group of rebels. Okay. It feels like they're trying to turn, like, I, I feel like it's pretty on the nose with the name, but it feels like they're trying to make him to, out to be like Che Guevara, but without any There's nuance. There's a bit of Che there. Well, here's the thing, and this may be part of why that chunk can lag for for you and for other viewers. Mm-hmm. Saw Guerrera has all of that context and nuance. It just exists on the Clone Wars television show. Okay, yeah. Saw Guerrero was a big deal when he showed up because he was, if not the first, one of the earliest characters to make that crossover from the animated universe to the big screen. So okay. when Saw Guerrero happened and it was Forrest Whitaker and he was like stomping around with that scowl, mm-hmm. that was a big deal. And with the context of Clone Wars, you have all the background to understand who this guy is. But I do think the movie's pr- like it tries to kind of shoehorn that in. But you're right; they just kind of like slap a Che Guevara sticker on him and kind of let that do the work. Without that context, that's how it kind of felt to me that they're being like, "Look, this scary radical who's doing things that are maybe he fights for the good thing, but it's it, he does it in a bad way." It, it was also about this. So this is just a thing, a problem with media in general and shorthand, where. All the bad dudes have disabilities up front in this this movie. Yep. I definitely took that note for sure. (laughs) Almost every single person that we're supposed to be like, oh, they're a bad person, has like some form of like amputation or physical deformity. Um, That is a problem still with mod. I mean, this movie is 2016. That's a problem with modern movies that, that disability is either short form for villainy or for inspiration porn. Like those are the two things you're allowed to be. If you're disabled in a movie, <laughs> we get two. That's it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's it. We got to stay in our, our lanes. It's a two lane highway, but there's no exit <laughs> to a better future. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's certainly not a star Wars problem, but it really stuck out. But to it me is also a Star Wars problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like it's not unique to star Wars, but it does no. show up in star Wars. No, it's a it's a culture problem and yes. it's a media problem and Star Wars just exists within the same culture and media landscape. <laughs> so he is very like the background of Saw is very Che Che Guevara esque in that like the argument that even Clone Wars is making in a kids TV show is like where is the line between uh like resistance and terrorism or patriotism and mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. it's sort of tries and it's very Che Guevara-esque it, like it's pretty on the nose in some ways but he has like he is sort of a counterpart to Mon Mothma for a while they have like big arguments about the direction that the rebellion should be going and whether Mon Mothma's like too weak to be an effective leader and it like so he like there's a lot more to him by the time we meet him in this show he is on death's door 
but there is context uh, elsewhere. It is, it's kind of a shame, I think, that we didn't get more of that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's cool and all. I wish I had that yeah. background going into it. <laughs> but, like, I mean, it wasn't for me. It was for the people who watch Clone Wars. So he rescues Jin. Jin. We're not going to see Jin again until I think the film jumps by a little more than a decade, 12, 13 years forward. And we catch back up with Jin imprisoned in a uh, detention center on Wobani. Okay. That yogurt Star place? Star Wars names, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the yogurt comes from. <laughs> She's sharing a cell with, no kidding, a Blutopian. Blut- really? <laughs> yep. His name is Ulan Musters, I believe. Oh my god, it's just a food planet. It's <laughs> Was he a colonel? <laughs> <laughs> but we're only going to see her for a minute, because we're going to cut for a while to our other lead, Cassian Andor. Okay, okay. Who is a an officer within the like nascent intelligent wing of the intelligence wing of the rebellion. <laughs> this is Diego Luna. And while I certainly have issues with military intelligence, just, you know, in real life and and how it's portrayed in media at times, <laughs> Diego Luna is a real thirst trap. That's fair. I love this dude just like, like he's a small, compact man who's just swaggering around every, I I love him in this movie. He is a scrapper. He is a fighter. He's got that sort of almost like controlled chaos energy at times. He's a little sharp when he doesn't need to be. I I really like Diego Luna in this movie a lot. I I was set up to dislike him from the get-go. And that's because he turns, he like gets his information from like his contact or whatever. Yeah. Who is disabled. And he's like, we got to get out of here. I can't make that climb on my own. And he shoots the dude. He just, he murks that guy. And I'm just like, wait, what, what happened here? You (laughs) You made your contact. Then you made it to where you couldn't, neither one of you could escape properly. And then he was like, I can't climb. I'm disabled. And to me, it reads like, well, he's going to slow me down. I better just fucking euthanize him. <laughs> yeah, it is. So Tivik is a like an intelligence mole within Saw Gerrera's outfit. That's okay. kind of his background. I think the explanation the movie gives us is like, well, the Empire is on to us. There's basically three options here. Mm-hmm. Option one, we both get captured. That's no good. Sure. Option two, I escape and you get captured. That's also no good. Like, yeah. one, because you'll give up information that I can't have you giving up, but also they're going to, like, torture you and interrogate you, etc. <laughs> so the third option is I just, you know, I'm just going to kill you. That way, you know, I'm saving you the pain of capture and interrogation. That's, I mean... That... And that's some flimsy... Like, I get it. And, <laughs> yeah. like, war is, is hell and whatnot, but... <laughs> yeah, but, like... It definitely reads as your usefulness to me is done and you are slowing me down. Yeah, it's weird. I don't think, I think maybe, like, did that character have to be disabled is my question. Is like, (laughs) did that have to be the reason for him to, like, just kill him? Because that is, that's the reason he can't get away. That is absolutely what's going on. It's stated in the text. (laughs) Yeah, he's Um, got, he's got a bum arm. Yeah. So he can't make the climb. So he's like, well, I better just fucking kill you now then. It's fine. To save you a long and slow and painful death. Which, like, at least, like, 
I don't think this solves all your problems at all, but at least maybe you could have written that character as making that decision. Like he was going to be captured. Sure, yeah. And so he's just a little like, better. At least it gives him the agency. If nothing. Yeah. Else. At least he has agency about, you know, <laughs> his assisted suicide. Um, as opposed to what happens here, which is, oh, you're disabled and you'll slow me down and wrap me out to the enemy. <laughs> just as good dead. And of course, the idea here, much like with that opening film, is they're trying to establish it as like a little bit more of a like a hard tack, grim dark, you know, yeah. things are serious in this one sort of movie. <laughs> and it does get there like Cassian Andor is is definitely the whole movie doesn't get there. This scene, I would definitely say, it establishes Cassian as definitely not like a white knight paladin. Like, our good guys always make the good decisions, and they can yeah. always find a way out. Like, it establishes Cassian as a much grayer character. Yeah, I, I agree there. I, I think you're right. The movie doesn't necessarily deliver on the interest in those premises. Like, I'm sure for a lot of people... This this seems this is like a weird thing to get hung up on, but like right out the gate, I'm like, well, that's that's an interesting choice to make at the top of your film about one yeah. of your lead characters. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. So the info that Tivik has brought mm-hmm. is that uh, the Empire is harvesting kyber crystals <laughs> from the planet Jedha to use as like batteries powering a planet killing super weapon. Yes. And this info is has been brought by like a basically a delivery driver who defected from the empire on behalf of Galen Urso. This is a guy named Rook. We know that Galen and Saw know each other from the old days. Mhm. Saw's the one who took care of Jin. Yes. And so when Galen needs to get info out he grabs Bodie Rook and says, go find this guy, Saw. I know him. Tell him you're from me. You need to tell him about this weapon that I'm being forced to build. And Saw does some war crimes, too. <laughs> yeah. Saw, at this stage in his life, is even further down the path of terrorism is okay if it's done in the name of freedom than he was when Galen knew him 13 years ago. Gotcha. Uh, so when he gets there... When he gets to Jeddah and finds Saw, Saw does not trust him and just, like, bags him up until we can sort out whether or not this is a trap. He, like, gives him over to, like, a, t- a tentacle monster thing that can read his mind and know if he's telling the truth. Boar Gullet. He is a Marion. All right. So while all of that is going on, Cassian is basically tasked with forming a team to go get that info but the primary step one is they have to go get Jin. spell j-y-n because things can't be simple yeah you know <laughs> so because of Jin's connection to saw they need her because they know saw at this point is increasingly bellicose increasingly sort of antagonistic they don't think he's going to take an audience from them, but they know about Jin's background with him. So they say, all right, well, we can get Jin. Maybe she can get us in the door. Okay. Yeah. So far, so good. Logic is is stable there, I think. Yeah, we're uh, good. Everything everything's going according to plan. When they they uh extraction team Bravo pulls her out. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and there's a moment where she sits down for a discussion with uh, it's Mon Mothma, Jan Dodonna, Bail Organa, like all of these figures that I, a Star Wars nerd, know from like being clustered around those war tables in Hoth and, and scenes like that. I know Bail Organa, and that's it. <laughs> Mon Mothma is the tall lady in white who's like the leader. Okay. Not Tilda Sw- Swinton, but should be Tilda Swinton. Right, but Tilda Swinton-esque, yeah, for yes. sure. <laughs> they basically just have to talk her into getting on board with the plan. She's not real keen on it because she's like, yeah, Saw and I knew each other, but he also abandoned me a long time ago, and I am not particularly keen on any plan that involves that man. <laughs> she ultimately gets on board, but Cassian is given very specific, like, orders on the side saying, hey, you need to make sure Galen is killed. If Galen is the guy building this weapon, we don't care what information Bodhi has. That's fine. You need to make sure Galen is killed so this weapon can never be created. See, I, again, this is the second time I've seen this movie, but I was operating off of the assumption when they were having that conversation that they were talking about Saw, and I forgot they were going to kill, like, he, his job was to kill Galen. And so I was real <laughs> confused whenever, like, he just let Saw go later on. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? And no, that was all on me. Movie did his job. I did a bad. And this is all, all of this is happening, to be clear, on Yavin 4, mm-hmm. which is the the moon base station that we see the rebels at in episode four. Ah, okay. And so a lot of this framework, if you're of the, like, if you're of the extraction to be deeply into Star Wars, and if you've maybe watched episode four a few dozen times or more in your life, (laughs) this base even is, like, seeing these faces, seeing this physical space, there's a very real and obviously very intentionally crafted tug of nostalgia to all of this. So, okay, so now we're going to, all of that is just sort of background to get the team together, to head to head off to Jeddah, to talk to Saw. <laughs> so the team is Cassian, Jin, and K2SO, <laughs> who is... The best character in this movie. Uh, yes, he is a security droid who is like uh, Cassian's number two. K2SO is... Fantastic. He's great. He's the jealous boyfriend throughout this entire movie, and I, I'm living for it. <laughs> that is a very accurate. I had never framed it that way. That is very accurate. Like the it, it clicked for me. Like after like halfway through the movie, I was like, oh, yeah, they're a team, and he's mad that this girl's here now. Like it doesn't yep. matter who it is. He just he just likes being around with Cassian by himself, and he trusts Cassian. So it is also the voice of the incredibly talented Alan Tudyk. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And it's re- like, it is just the saltiest droid you can imagine. All right. So they all pack up. They head to Jetta. Jetta, by the way, is a, it's called the Pilgrim Moon. And it's a moon that orbits the planet Na Jetta. And it's significant because there is a lot of kyber crystal here. Okay. Which is. Kyber crystal is what's used to make lightsabers. That's why kyber crystal is a big deal. Kyber crystals yeah. are the crystals in the lightsabers, right? That's their thing. Yeah, they can, uh, I guess, focus lasers into a, a, yeah. a sword. Yeah, that's what they do. 
Uh, but consequently, it became like a site that a lot of Jedi went to. And so it sort of like over the years became like a pilgrimage, not just for Jedi, but for like for the various religions that sort of grew up around the Jedi. So it's sort of like it's like a Jedi holy city. Okay. Which is the weird interplay between the force as a religion and the Jedi as a militaristic government entity is uncomfortable. Yeah, it's, I mean, they've always had theocracy vibes. Like, it's... Yeah, that's true, yep. They they very much have that entire sort of Knights Templar mood to them, where it's... They, they feel like paladins. Like we were talking about paladins yes, earlier. absolutely that's, they that's are. That's what they are. But there is this suggestion elsewhere, like in the extended universe, uh-huh. that there are people who sort of follow religions that are centered on the Force that aren't Jedi or Jedi worshippers. That uh-huh. like maybe the paladins, maybe the Jedi are sort of like the holy knights of the order, which ain't great. I mean, it's fun. It's fun mm-hmm. for the Star Wars. It is very fun for the Star Wars universe. In in like real universe terms, it is uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> but I do like the notion that like, yeah, there are like, there are religions sort of crafted around the force that aren't necessarily Jedi centric. I like that. I like that it grows to lower a little bit and that we get to kind of see other people interacting with this very spiritual thing on their own terms without the framework of the Jedi, which is pretty yikes. So we do like we head off to Jedha uh, we get a brief interlude on like the executrix, the executrix. Okay, that's which is uh, an imperial are... class star destroyer. Okay, so it's not those ladies that you had a thing for from the eighties. No, no, okay. more's the pity. It's instead Grand Moff Tarkin, who is at this point Governor <laughs> Tarkin. <laughs> Grand Moff Tarkin. It's whenever this. Whenever Tarkin comes onto the screen, I always forget there's a CGI Tarkin in this movie. And when he popped in, I was like, oh, I'd, I watched this on a PS4 the first time. That's right. That's where <laughs> That's where I watched this originally. Because he looks like he's in a video game. He It's, it's very weird. Because like, we're just like uh, one year removed from this technology being much better. It don't look great, y'all. It's like, it's not that like it looks like prequels level bad. But no. it, it sits in the uncanny valley of like we played we played video games where this dude hangs out and talks to us. Yes. It very it just it like pings uncomfortably against like the part of your brain that picks up like I'm going to say psychic resonance. I don't mean like a <laughs> like a tarot card reading psychic, but like the part of your brain that like yeah. senses the presence of another person when they're nearby. Like it it hits that part of your brain very uncomfortably yes yeah it's not quite i don't think it quite hits uncanny valley in like a horrible way i just look at him and go why is there a video game character on this live action movie (laughs) same with uh leia at the very end yes leia has that same sort of vibe i think hers is just a little bit better but it's still noticeably like yeah video gamey and we're only a shade removed from like a couple of years from Disney doing Captain Marvel and pulling a very similar trick with Samuel Jackson. And yeah. that works much better. 
Yeah, they did it. They did the. They did that. Marvel's done that a number of times, and their de aging thing almost always looks pretty. Good. Uh, yeah. I think in uh, Civil War, Tony Stark looks a little off, but everyone else that's on screen yep. looks good. And then in uh, Ant Man, uh, young Hank Pym looks good. Yeah. So like, and it's that's that's you know within the same like Overlord company as Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And I love seeing Tarkin and like the voice is right and the facial expressions are right, but it, it does just look like a really high resolution computer game yeah. in places. For sure. But he's just here like stomping around yelling about project delays and <laughs> the defecting car- cargo pilot. He's I mean, the, the most baffling part of it to me is that we already have discount Harkin. Or Tarkin, I mean, like why? Yeah, does... we've got Krennic. Yeah, we have Krennic. Jesus Christ, these names. <laughs> uh, we don't need Tarkin in this movie. Why did they do this? I think it was like put him so... in, take that same model and just stick him in the background of a shot on the Death Star, right. and it's fine. But like they put him front and center for like several portions of this movie, and you're like, why are you all so proud well, of here's, this? Here's the problem is. Episode four is going to happen literal minutes after the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. And in episode four, Tarkin is bragging about the power of his battle station. Yes. So in some capacity, we have to justify like, okay, well, if Krennic oversaw all of it, like, like, why is Tarkin in charge? And I think you could have just said, he's the Grand Moff, he took it, and that would have been fine. Why, like, yeah, can't we just have, like, couldn't we have, like, a video chat with Tarkin or, like, sure. a line where... Put him they, in, like, the blue holographic projection? Yeah, that would help ease it because it's already, we're already, like, we know that's already computer generated and it feels separate from the lived reality of everything else on set. Yes. I yep. think that might have helped. And also, like, th- we have discount Tarkin and Darth Vader meeting at one point, fussing over this. Yep. Why can't he just choke him and be like, I'm giving it to Tarkin? Yes, that would have worked. (laughs) One line and we're done. (laughs) I think they were just pleased with this technology and wanted to have Tarkin stomping around. And they shouldn't have been. (laughs) (laughs) So this is like, this is setting the stage for Tarkin being about done with Krennic. He's telling him, I'm tired of all your dumb project delays, fail again, and it's over. Sure. Anyone who has ever worked in software development is very familiar with this style of project management. Sure. <laughs> All right. Now, though, now we get back to Jetta. Oh, yes. And Cassian, Jin, K2S2, they are... Like, K2SO. Their plan is like... Oh, yeah, yes. K2SO. That's their plan is like, yeah, we'll just, we'll just land and we'll find Saw and it'll be no problem. <laughs> and Cassian tells K2SO to stay back on the ship. Yeah. Oh, and it's such a good, there's so many good moments of salty K2SO, but that one's real, like, that droid is not happy about being relegated to babysitting duty. He's getting third wheeled, like somebody else is (laughs) moving in on his boyfriend, 100%. It's so good. I'm telling y'all, rewatch that movie, this movie, with that in mind, and you'll not be able to, like, unsee it. Yep. And, and, like, Jin and Cassian immediately get in trouble because there's like a there's like an uprising by some of Guerrera's partisans like they're they're pushing back against the imperial presence in Jeddah <laughs> and Cassian and Jin just get like stuck in that yeah they they get kind of caught up in that uh 
kerfuffle that happens in the street. Yep. But this is now where we meet Chirrut and Bays, who are potentially just self-appointed guardians of the Kyber Temple. This seems to be the case. I like their dynamic a lot. It's something's keeping me from loving it quite as much as I would like to. So he uh Chirrut is a guardian of the Whills. Okay. And we only get a little throwaway line about that, like I think Jin says they're protectors of the Kyber, but there's nothing left to protect, so now they're just annoying people or what like a very dismissive description. Yeah, but they this s- is what I was talking about mm-hmm. with a like the Guardian the Guardians are a separate religious order. They are not Jedi's. Like they 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 have some overlapping, mm-hmm. but they are a distinct religious order who view their relationship to the Force as a very different thing from how Jedi relate to the Force. Yeah. And at some point sort of like they had a like a temple or something in Jeddah. And when the Empire started like messing with things, they sort of became like guardians of the temple for people who were still making pilgrimages. So like in the latter ages after the Jedi were gone, the guardians just the guardians of the wills just sort of took it upon themselves to keep this holy site. Right, so Churrit and Bays kind of help push back against the the Imperial reinforcements. There's a moment where it looks like everything's going to be settled, like that they, they run off the Imperials, they kind of take a beat, they start to chat for just a second, and then the Partisans show up and just kidnap them all. Yeah, they put a bag over the blind guy's head for whatever reason. Yeah. And we also have uh, Baze, who is, he was a guardian, like, prior to the Empire. And, like, when the Jedi were all killed and everything, he left the Order and just, like, went kind of, he became, like, a gun for hire. Yeah, he's, like, But he maintained his friendship with Chirrut. Yeah, he's weird. He's got, like, this... I don't know. He has like Rambo energy, but not quite Rambo energy. <laughs> he sort of does. Yeah. He like he it's it's so bizarre seeing them together in a Star Wars movie. These two characters, I feel like belong in a Hideo Kojima production where it's just one dude with a big <laughs> fuck off gun and another guy who beats you with a stick and like their best friends. <laughs> Man. Yeah, that uh, that would be very good. <laughs> I'm kind of sad that we didn't get that now. I mean, we basically got it in this movie. It's just not quite the tone that we want. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So they've been captured by the partisans. They're drugged back to, uh, I think it's the catacombs is where Saw is kind of basing out of now. Sure. They are catacombs. (laughs) The big deal here is... Jin, of course. This is why they brought her, and it works. Saw Saw knows her. Saw's not going to just huck her in prison like the rest of them. He's at least going to listen to what's going on here. <laughs> there is also a fun scene with Chirrut and Baze, where Chirrut is just repeating his mantra, like centering himself, and Baze is just like mocking maybe too harsh of a word but i don't think so he's just like why are you why do you still believe this why are you still dedicating your life to this failed religion 
Yeah, that's yeah, that's fair. All right, so Cassian's just trying to break himself out. Jin is trying to explain to Saw what's going on, but Saw <laughs> thinks like maybe she is also part of the trap. Yeah, he Saw's paranoid of uh, all the things. So within the prison cells, like Cassian has connected to uh, Bodhi Rook, who's also in prison here. Bodhi's memory is like scrambled from his interrogation. That's the the side effects of the Marin. Mm-hmm. But when he hears Galen's name, it kind of reconnects because that's how memory loss works, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> kind of reconnects some bits. He says, oh, Galen. Yes. Okay. Yep. Okay. Now I I'm starting to remember some things. Sure. It, it, like I don't think they understand what memory loss is. I think <laughs> I think he just had like some uh, hella anesthesia and it's just coming out of a funk. Yeah, I think that's more like it is less that he his brain was was psychically fried and more maybe that it was chemically scrambled for a bit. And as those yeah. chemicals are wearing off, he's waking up. So ultimately, Saw agrees to play them the message. They watch Galen, who's saying like, hey, we're mm-hmm. building this planet-killing machine called the Death Star. Yeah. But I have been secretly building in a, a weak spot mm-hmm. so that someone can destroy it. Mark. Uh, and, and I have hidden the structural plans in uh-huh. the data bank on Scarif. Mark, can I ask with all earnestness here, why this matters so much to Star Wars people. Th- this feels like it could have been addressed in a throwaway line of dialogue and not an entire prequel movie to me. Like, people make a big fuss about we don't need to see the Kessel Run and Han Solo and we didn't need a Han Solo movie. And I think I agree with you there. I don't think it was necessary. But yep. I also don't know why we need a whole movie explaining why there's a... a, a like. We did not is the answer. I like this movie a lot. This movie did not need to exist. I've complained before about the fact that every character who gets a name in a Star Wars script anywhere Uh has an infinitely complex backstory that is secretly plugged into the Rebellion or the Empire. Yeah, it like this is a conversation I was having earlier with another friend in that I think this is was all a symptom of just like nerd culture ruining movies <laughs> um yeah mark do you remember when you could go to see a movie and you went and you saw a movie and you didn't spend the entire movie trying to figure out the movie so this is this is very specifically a thing that i like that i feel like puts me at odds with the modern uh nerd culture mm-hmm. i like a fuzzy universe that doesn't feel the need to explain itself i like weird Mm-hmm. I like Labyrinth and Dark Crystal, and I like uh, like the Studio Leica films, like Box Trolls. I like universes that are just like, we're going to give you peeks at the weirdness, but we do not feel the need to tediously explain all of the weirdness. I like that. I like that for a number of reasons. And one, because it creates more interesting conversations once you get out of that media experience, and you get mm-hmm. to kind of unpack that on in your on your own terms and not sitting in a movie um but like also because it wouldn't be natural to exposit worldwide lore to another character like in those situations so it also it always feels like the text has to like stop and explain itself when it's not necessary like we get weird unnecessary exposition from it and 
there's a good way to do exposition. Don't get me wrong. That's not really the problem there, but it's this idea that like people go to see movies now and everything. And like, this is another reason why, why giving star Wars uh, to JJ Abrams was a fucking mistake is that everything's not a puzzle to figure out every no. movie. Sh- like that's not how you should be going into movies. That's not how you do. This movies. is a take. I know you and I shared. We haven't got to talk about it, but I know uh-huh. you and I shared on the back end of WandaVision which was stop being mad about a thing that you thought you discovered was a secret that didn't pay off to be a secret. You're enjoy- like, I know you can mm-hmm. enjoy things however you want, but I keep wanting Absolutely. to tell people you're enjoying it the wrong way. Yeah. Like I don't, and I don't even think it's the wrong way. I think you're just setting yourself up to have a bad experience. Yeah. Like yeah. why are you self-sabotaging what otherwise could be an enjoyable experience for you? Like, why would you do that to yourself? And I just see people over and over doing that to themselves by trying to get ahead of a thing and piece things together and figure them out. And then whenever it doesn't pay off in a way that you and an entire group of, like, nerds worldwide have, like, <laughs> think tanked to this thing together for, uh, as opposed to, like, yep. a-, a small team's creative vision, you get upset about yep. it. Like... Of course, it's not going to be the thing that you all did. You didn't make the thing. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Like, enjoy the thing they made and then apply it and make your own thing. And then, like, I don't know. Every every movie is not a whodunit. Whodunits are great. But, like, you shouldn't go into every media experience like it's a murder mystery where you're trying to figure it out the whole time. Because that's not the point of most media. Yes. Yeah, that is absolutely right. <laughs> and a lot of these Star Wars films are just like deep, deep experiences in exactly that. Yeah, it feels like it's having a response to the way that culture has developed where they want neat and tidy explanations right. for every yes. singular instance of like terminology and dialogue in a word. And it's absurd to me. Yeah, could not could not agree more. So the message is interrupted because Krennic has decided to uh, test out the Death Star on, like, low-power setting. You know, it's like a two. <laughs> on the moon of Jeddah. And he's just going to blow up the whole city and, you know, the temple and the pilgrimage site. Yeah. And so we get a scene where, like, everyone's running back to escape, and it's fun. Saw Gerrera's going down with the moon. Mm-hmm. I guess <laughs> his time was limited anyway. He was, you know, nearing the end of his life and he decided he didn't want to run anymore. He would rather stay here with the city. He has kind of dedicated the last chunk of his life to protecting. Yeah. Forrest Whitaker walked out and said, I've only been contracted for one film. Go. Yep. <laughs> You've only got me for a week. Yep. This is it. I'm in between. <laughs> I'm doing this in between too much higher profile uh, engagements. This is also where Tarkin, I think, fully takes over command of the Death Star. Mm-hmm. And now the team, which is now Jin and Cassian and K2, uh, Bodhi Rook, Chirrut, and Baze, all head together to the research facility where Galen is. Yeah, that sounds This is Edu, I believe. Edu, okay. I didn't know if we were quite there yet or not. 
So really, at this point, they should be going to Scarif because that's where the plans are. Mm-hmm. But Jin says, my dad's still a good guy. These plans are important because he's laid a secret trap there, but we're not going to be able to make anyone believe this because the message got destroyed. So we need to go to Idu and get my dad. Hmm. A little shaky since there are five people here who saw that message. You'd think all five of them saying, yes, this is what we saw would be enough confirmation. But listen, she wants to get her dad. No one's going to argue with that. Okay. So Tarkin's taken over control of the Death Star. Krennic has been sent back to Edu, uh, sort of to, to take control of development since it's still going slow, but also to root out the rebel sympathizer that is obviously there on account of uh, the, what's the activities of the last week or two. They're aware that there's someone in there who's leaking info. Mm-hmm. They get to the research facility. There's a showdown, like, in the rain, on the side of a mountain, with, like, Krennic yelling at the research team, and, like, Cassian's watching on from a distance. It's a very set piece sort of scene. Mm-hmm. It's pretty, visually, it's pretty good. And there is a long moment where Cassian has a bead on Galen. He's got him locked in his sights. Mm-hmm. But having come to know Jin and knowing that this is Jin's dad, he just cannot bring himself. Now, you know, if only this guy was disabled, maybe Cassian would have an easier yeah. time. The, yeah, too able-bodied for him to snipe from <laughs> right. several hundred yards away. It's That would be unconscionable. Maybe if, like, he sprained his ankle first, make it a little easier on him. <laughs> so... Really, Krennic has brought them all on here to kill them all because they've, you know, the Death Star's finished. He doesn't really need them around anymore. And since he can't figure out who the who the informant is, he'll just kill them all. <laughs> and this like staged execution is happening at the same time that a rebel bomber squad is rolling in. Because having been informed of the location of the base, the rebels sent a bomber squad to go blow it up. <laughs> uh, the end result is Galen isn't killed by Krennic but he is mortally wounded by the bombs. He has a minute to like chat with Jin and he like dies in her arms. It is upsetting that they got the Mads Mikkelsen and did very little with him in this film. It, like, yeah, he's just in the background for most of it. And then he gets like nuked by friendly fire. It's yeah, it's not great, but I guess it was also one of those things where like he, I was contracted for one movie and therefore must get hit by this (laughs) bomb. We then get the requisite uh, Darth Vader appearance. Krennic goes to Mustafar, has a chat with Vader, gets himself force choked, you know. Like you do. The usual. Typical Tuesday night. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Vader warns him about his ambitions and his, like, trust in the military apparatus, etc. Yeah, sure. There is a moment where, like, Vader is being sort of increasingly less tolerant of Krennic's clowning. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment where Krennic's like, just, could you just, like, call up the Emperor and put in a good word for me? And that is when Vader has had enough and just, like, force jokes him. Yeah, he's, he's like, so wait, I'm still in charge, right? Like, I'm, I'm still in charge. <laughs> and he's like, Jesus, right. I cannot take this child anymore. <laughs> I think that's yeah. what it was. He was getting real childish, and he was like, I'm, I'm real good so. at killing kids. <laughs> yep. 
I, I'm good at kid kid killing. It's what I do. It's kind of my whole thing. I did it on Tatooine. I did it at the Jedi Temple. Yep, I put the youth in euthanasia. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's hey, the movies did it. I you said you made that noise like I murdered a bunch of kids at the Jedi Temple. <laughs> did not. <laughs> That was right. little orphan Annie. <laughs> we uh, we head back to the rebel base. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jin is pushing hard for a plan to go to Scarif and get the Death Star schematic. She is convinced that you know there's a flaw in there. Her dad did it. If they can just find the schematics, they stand a chance of shutting down the Death Star. Mm-hmm. But but the like the leadership, Bail Organa, Mon Mothma, Jen Dodonna, etc. They are they they are not able to sort of reach any sort of useful decision on this. A lot of them want to scatter the fleet. You know, they have a planet killing weapon now. We can't have all of the fleet on one planet. Uh, at least one person suggests surrendering. <laughs> like if they have a planet killer, there's nothing else we can do. Yep. Yep. Mon Mothma and Bail Organa, at least, are sort of in Jin's corner, but they don't, like, they can't get enough of the council together to sort of approve the mission. <laughs> Basically, they're saying, we have a small fleet, and if we make a wrong move here, that's it for us. Like, we we just, we can't risk this much of our force on this kind of weird long shot plan. So Jin and Cassian put together basically like a volunteer unit, mm-hmm. which is mostly the team we've had. It's Baze and Shuret and, you know, Rook. And they head off for Scarif themselves. And now we are to the final leg of this movie, the Battle of Scarif. This is also where I think it's it's Bodhi Rook, who's, who's the pilot, mm-hmm. who gives them the call sign Rogue One. Yeah, they do that thing that they do, they did in the last one with Han Solo, where you can tell they're half embarrassed that they're doing it while they're doing it. Right. Where they're like, uh, Rogue One, Rogue One, that's the name of the movie. It's, it's whatever. I, I wish they leaned it. I wish, I wish it's Star Wars, right? Why not just lean into the cheese and be like... Yep. Like have them do some like knowing head bobs, be like, yeah, we're 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 like yeah. a rogue vessel, <laughs> and then him be like rogue one. Like, why not lean into it? Get it a little bit of that uh, Taika Waititi energy into your mm, film. Yeah, zhuzh it up for me. It's like <laughs> you. I feel like it would be much more in keeping with the tone of this franchise. I don't know why they're trying to act half embarrassed by it. Now it's time for Scarf in the sort of heist movie. <laughs> Phase. So we're, we're, the last third of this movie is part heist movie, part tower defense, part space battle. I see. We did Search for Spock, and then we did Metal Gear Solid uh, Twin Snakes with the sniping scene. Yep, and now yep. we're on to Ant-Man, the Ant-Man part of this movie. Exactly. I decided to pick just the most obtuse versions of those things. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> the most reductive version of what's going on is that Jin and Cassian are going to infiltrate the tall, spiky information facility. Uh-huh. 
and the rest of the team is going to support from the outside, either like tech support or they're going to be holding off the like Imperial forces. Mm-hmm. But like their job is just to fight until they die to buy enough time for Jin and Cassian. That's not how it's built, but we all know that's what's going on. I have one very important question about this part of the movie. Yep. Uh, shortly here, we're going to have uh, Red Squad fly through the, the the maw of the planet's shield, whatever it's called. Yes. And they're down on, like, now, so now they're on the surface of the planet helping out, right? And they um, would... Blue Squadron's on the surface. Blue Squadron. Thank you. Um, the, yeah, the, Blue Squadron. Sorry, very important distinction. The... Yes. <laughs> it, I, for Starhead's, Starhead Wars peoples, yes. I'm sure it is. Well, it's important because in episode four, mm-hmm. there is a red squadron. And remember, episode four happens right. literal minutes after this movie. Mm-hmm. There is a red squadron and a gold squadron that still exist. There is no blue squadron in episode four. And this is why. This is what happened to blue squadron. This is absolute. So, like, this is the. Okay. <laughs> Let's answer your clarification first. Sure. My, the clarification I want is. Why is it necessary for them to go through all of the piggybacking off of radio signals to get the information to the people up in space that they need the gate back open when Blue Squadron's already down on the surface of the planet and they want to open it so that they can get out alive? That's a very good question. (laughs) I'm sure some Star Wars fan could give you the very tortured logic as to why I do not know what it is. That that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Also, they're able to send radio signals to space, but not data transmissions. And that's a weird, fuzzy distinction for me that I don't quite understand in this universe. Star Wars has, because it happened in the 70s, has always been boxed in by the sort of limitation. Like, in our heads, data, tra- like, we all have the internet. Uh-huh. Data transmits very fast wherever you want it to go. Sure. And in Star Wars land, like there is the hollow net in the expanded universe or whatever. But like in Star Wars land, data transmission is a different thing. And like the Internet doesn't like there's not just that white whatever, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, it is very weird that they're like, we basically have to send like a single tight beam transmission. And again, there's hand wavy like science jargon explanation for it none sure. of it holds up but it doesn't need to it's just like it's just yeah, a... not the important part right it's just one of those things that stuck in my craw i was like but why are they doubling down on this need when there's already a need it just felt bloated <laughs> to me it wasn't like so explain the thing it was more like we've already explained the thing yes <laughs> so we're gonna watch the good guys basically like dying one at a time right yeah uh, as they're all making sacrifices to like open the shield doors or uh-huh. or you know what have you, I don't know how much we want to get into any of that. K two S K two S O has a very good uh, end bit here. I think K two S O has the maybe the best bit, but like he's also the best character in the movie, so fair kind of yep. tracks. <laughs> He got his gun. He was very touched that he got a gun. Yes, he got a gun, which was great. Bodhi is like feeding false info back to Scarif. Do we see Bodhi die? Or does he just die off screen? I think he dies off screen. I suddenly don't remember. Yeah, he might die off screen. Uh, Baze is sort of leading the ground troops. 
Chirrut is like he has to go throw a manual switch that will like activate communications mm-hmm. between like so there's like a like a communications dampener and he's got to hit the switch so the communications dampener goes away so Uh that the info can be relayed from work shuttle up to the rebel fleet. Yeah. That thing I was just talking about before that they didn't really need to do. Yeah. It's so that their character can die. Yeah. Uh, K2SO is, he gets his gun. He's trying to lure away the, uh, stormtroopers who show up. (laughs) There's a very good moment where he like, locks himself within a vault door to like keep the stormtroopers out and buy his friends time to escape while he is just literally being destroyed by blaster fire. Yeah, it's pretty good. I I I mean, I think everybody's death falls flat for me in this movie, but Oh, you know what it was with Rook? What's that? Rook uh Rook did like you, got the message did a bishop through get to him? the fl- Was it the queen? <laughs> he did. <laughs> He got the message through to the flagship. Remember, he had to like keep the door open, keep the door open. And somewhere in there, someone threw a like a thermal detonator in and exploded the ship. That's what happened to Rook. Straight up missed that. I just, <laughs> my mind did not grasp that that had even happened. Yeah, like he wanted, like he had to keep the door open for whatever reason, and like keeping the door open so long left him vulnerable to the might have been a thermal imploder instead of a detonator. That's an sure. unnecessary distinction to make. Space grenade. But that is what happens. But he gets the transmission off, and mm-hmm. that lets uh, General Radis up in space know that he has to crack that shield. So Radis then turns like all of his attention and fire onto the shield to crack it open. Yep. He was suddenly like, I guess we shouldn't abandon Blue Squad entirely. <laughs> yep. He uses that sweet hammerhead Corvette to like physically batter a Star Destroyer. What is this name, by the way? I see that you in our notes have Hammerhead Corvette goes ham, Merhead. And why why the name Hammerhead Corvette? Why does... That's, so this it, is a Sferna-class Corvette cruiser. The Hammerhead nickname is because the shape of it. Like, it, it's like a Hammerhead shark sort of thing. Sure. Why Corvette? I don't know, because there's so many... Like, the Millennium Falcon is a Corellian Corvette. Okay, didn't know that. Corvette's just like a a thing in Star Wars. It is a it is I think technically a small class starship. I see. I'm shocked that GM did not sue them over it. It's, <laughs> that's incredible. I also don't understand how they have just hammerheads as reference in space for things. Yeah, I've seen knows? some of the sea life. I've never seen a hammerhead shark. <laughs> so yeah, they're just like it's it's being used almost as a literal hammer they're just battering star destroyer with it and like they they like disable a star destroyer crash it into another star destroyer and it like triggers a like a chain reaction Mm -hmm. that brings down the shieldy thingy the shieldy (laughs) thingy yeah that's good i liked that part yeah it's good this is i guess the sort of like final moments of pure victory for the movie mm-hmm. uh, and even in it we're already losing like we've lost Bodhi Rook we've lost K2 we've lost Chirrut Baze is going to die shortly thereafter mm-hmm. uh, repeating Chirrut's mantra you remember they were arguing about it. he said why are you clinging to this stupid religion and this worthless mantra and in his final moments uh, like in uh. memory of his friend even though this religion clearly means garbage to him like 
he is it's, reciting this thing as like a, a thing to his friend. Is it? And then I he just hope, like takes another. Oh yeah, that was very much my thing. Is I do not think he came back to his faith at all. That's, I think he was honoring the death of his friend. I like that interpretation better. To me, it's just read as no atheist in Voxel's bullshit. It's just oh wow okay yeah that's a that's certainly a different take. That's that's how that. it felt to me, where it was just like all of a sudden he's like, I believe again because you proved to me you could walk between laser blasts before getting killed by a laser blast. <laughs> now that you've said that, I can absolutely see that read. Uh, that is just not how it hit me personally. Yeah, that's that's fine. I like yours better. We'll pretend yours <laughs> is right. So that's all fine. There's a showdown up at the top with Jin, Cassian, and Krennic, who is still in this movie. Uh-huh. Uh, Krennic, like, puts a, a shot into Cassian, but, but like, 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 knocks him down a few levels. It's a little... I found this particular bit, the, like, the final battle, the, the tower fight, the space battle, all very, very good. This particular bit on the top where she's like, I just have to get to the cassette tape thing so I can put <laughs> the cassette tape into the loader like that. Uh-huh. It... This last little bit was a little bit of a letdown for me. Okay. I didn't love the final staged fight up here. It looks pretty. It just felt like it wanted to have a real sense of like dramatic tension. And it did. But this is Star Wars, and I'm very clear what's happening here. And so it just felt like, just put it in there. We're wasting five minutes of movie not putting the cassette tape into the thing. We yeah, all know that's it- what's happening. It's it did that thing where like she got to the top and like she put the thing in and then it's like you have to realign the dish, like yeah. whenever your when your satellite doesn't work and it's like a satellite out you gotta of alignment. Spin the wheelie thingy. <laughs> spin the wheelie thingy, and it's on like a catwalk <laughs> out over nothing. Just it was designed this way for literally only for this part of this movie. That's there's no sensible reason why they designed it this way otherwise. <laughs> right. <laughs> But they do ultimately get it out, right? She she is yeah. successful. She spins the wheelie thingy and points the satellite dish in the right direction in space. The Wheel of Fortune. And right. <laughs> yeah, it's... But the bad news is the Death Star is here now. Tarkin showed up, and he does not want these plans getting out, so he's just going to blow up the research facility and, like, a good chunk of the planet with it. Yeah, it it feels so. Ex- Do they know that the plans are getting out? Did they? I think they know that. Yes. That, okay. Yeah. That's why Tarkin, like, he has sort of sussed out enough info, and he's put the pieces together with Galen. He's trying to destroy this to stop the plans from getting out. And they like the they... real truth of it is we mm-hmm. need we need Jin and Cassian to die, or else we have to explain why they're not present in Episode Four. Yeah, of course. It's. This is, maybe this is a weird take, but this felt like Hiroshima and Nagasaki. <laughs> like There's to a where, bit of that, for sure. Where they fired off that first one and they destroyed an entire fucking town. And then, like, two days, three days later, they were just like, let's do it again. Let's just do it again. No, destroying towns felt good. Is there another town we can destroy somewhere? I really enjoyed our empire blowing up people for no good reason. Let's do that again. I like the one that happens on Jeddah better because it's like mm-hmm. you get to see like the earth peel back and like come. Yeah, them. that rippling sort of. And that's real yeah. cool. And he's like, there's a problem on the horizon. There's no horizon. Like, that's a good line. That's but th- this is 
like that's a that's just a real cool uh like visual moment yeah and we don't really get that it bit here. where the earth is splitting that it makes that like mm-hmm. like the heat of the laser makes the makes the earth look almost liquid it's a really cool like it's well done it's yeah. really well done i really like it there and then it's just like it's literally just a nuke on the horizon for this ending part here which is fine but it's not as cool as that other thing yeah i agree and then they just like sit on a beach together to watch you know because what else are they going to do like uh-huh. it is very clearly obvious that the death star has been fired right and they just like you know their mission is done and they have like some piece in that and they just kind of there's a moment where Cassian tells Jin, like, hey, your dad would have been proud of you. And that's kind of it. Yeah. I I want I wish it hit me more. Mark, what like this is the part of the podcast where I weasel in Evangelion. I should be I should care hey, more. We need a like a bell or a buzzer or something. We should there should be yeah, there should be a little counter that goes up every time I bring up these <laughs> godforsaken children. Um like literally godforsaken children. Literally godforsaken children. Like, this movie ends with a, a man and a woman on a beach after all the characters we care about have been killed. Uh, why don't I care more? I know it's not because <laughs> of the premise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I I really wish I cared about these characters dying. I, you know, I like K2, and I still only... I'm still just kind of like, man, when he goes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was good. Uh, I think because... This movie was trapped by the fact that we all like we know what the next thing is. It happens so close in the timeline to Ep Four, mm-hmm. at least for me, that like okay, well I know going in all of these characters are going to be dead at the end because they're not here in the next movie. Sure, but you can still find like both Bathos and Pathos within that type of storytelling. I think they found some of it. I found uh, K 2s death was affecting Churit's death was affecting. Okay, okay. Uh, I felt bad for Jin more than Cassian. Like sure? I like Cassian. I like I like Diego's performance and whatever, but like that character was a spy informant, whatever. Like this was how he was destined to die. He, but yeah. Jin just had like a tough draw from beginning to end. Jin didn't murk a disabled person at the top of this movie. Right, so we care right. a little more. Uh I don't know. I'm I'm glad that landed for you. And I'm sure it landed for many, many people who love this movie. Just I was not one of those. We do get to see the fleet escape but they only, like, some of the fleet gets out, but Vader shows up with, like, his flagship and a chunk of the Imperial fleet, mm-hmm. and they they pin down some. So only some of the fleet escapes. Uh, and yep. we see, the like, the plans passed to the ship that has Princess Leia on board, mm-hmm. and they, you know, hey, they've given us hope or whatever, because we have to tease the name of A New Hope. Yeah, it is fun to just watch Vader murk a bunch of people. I think that's, that's so good. I think that's the best part of the movie for me, and I'm not even a Star Wars fan. And it's such a good baton handoff to the start of like if you have to put a movie in that mm-hmm. butts right up against Episode Four, that's a real good like baton handoff to the next film. Yeah, here's these characters. You kind of get their whole vibe going into this next yep. film. Yep. And, and you know, the next movie is going to pick up right there with, like, Vader kidnapping Leia and Leia putting the plans into R2. These physical plans that just cannot be transmitted to anyone because Apparently. they're 70s. <laughs> and so they were just, like, taken from a thing and then, like, tight radio beamed to a thing and then, like, ran to a ship and shoved in a droid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I love the space battle at the end. Here <laughs> is, I, I mentioned up top that there was a moment in this movie that genuinely made me cry. Mm-hmm. 
here's here's how this breaks down for me. This movie feels a lot like a Star Wars to me. Like the the visuals are right, the aesthetics are right. I like a lot of the characters. There's weird aliens, there's cool-looking starships like visually I watched this movie and it landed well for me. Okay. And so okay. I was already in kind of a happy Star Wars. Like it's not a great movie, but it was a fun ride. I was enjoying it. I was already in a happy Star Wars space. Uh, and th- this movie is very intentionally designed to evoke specific themes and memories from the original trilogy. Was it CGI when... Tarkin? It was CGI yeah, Tarkin. It was. Wasn't it? Oh, I love Tarkin. It is moving. Go ahead. When when the Alliance decides to send the fleet to help, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a moment where the squadrons pop in and they start issuing their call signs, right? So like up in space, we see... We see the starfighters popping in. Mm-hmm. And it uses footage from like episode four or whatever. It does. It, yeah. Like there's there's video and audio that was like cut from the filming of episode four. And there's some that was, I think, repeated. But there's like stuff from the cutting room floor that they revived and cleaned up and put in. And when like when the pilots that I recognized from the movie that I love showed up and like those crackly voices were coming across the radio and they were reading off their call signs that, mm-hmm. that did it for me. Like it just, Aww. it hit the nostalgia button right on the nose. And I know that's what it was doing. It was calculated and it was cold. And it was a big money machine knowing they could make me cry, but they did not Yeah, fair. And it re- just, it just like, that was a moment of Star Wars as I like and remember Star Wars. Just just the cool spaceships and the pilots. And I know some of those guys are going to die in, a, in like a couple of days destroying the Death Star that they're fighting. They're fighting to get the plans now and I'm going to watch them die later. And mm-hmm. just like hearing those, even more than seeing it, hearing those call signs in those voices crackling across that like corny 70s radio ham radio kind of sound effect just did me in like oh. i said my buddy brian is it just hit him in exactly the same way and it was a really fun shared experience also then because like red red call signs are popping in and gold call signs are popping in and then there's a blue call sign and i think in my head there's not a blue squadron oh i know what happens to blue squadron oh <laughs> <laughs> So I was less affected by Blue Squadron because I didn't know those guys. You know, they're all going to die anyway. But there was a moment where I was like, oh, no, Blue Squadron. This is not ending well for you guys. There's not a Blue Squadron. Oh, there's not a Blue Squadron. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But even on rewatch, even now, knowing that those call signs are coming, like, I don't sit there and cry every time it happens, but it still is a very touching moment for me. Even when I rewatch this film when red and gold squadrons show up and those pilots start calling out their call signs, it just, ah, it gets me right in the star Wars. Oh, well, I'm glad you were able to, and you and Brian both were able to have that moment in theater with each other. That sounds lovely. It was really good. It was really good. All right. I guess now is the, now is the ranking time. It's ranking time. See, if we were like a well-organized podcast, we would have like the, like power Rangers, morphin music <laughs> happen every time we did this but we're not that's not us no that's not no that's for that's for old matt and dave jaden work out <laughs> on their show so this is really easy for me unsurprisingly uh i'm sure you could pick up from my tone because this is the first one i've sounded legitimately happy to talk about yeah i think this is gonna come in at number one for you mark i love this movie it's not like 
it's not an all-time classic. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, breaking any new ground anywhere, but the beats of it work for me. The plot's a little murky. The movie, like, it's raison d'etre is non-existent. This movie does not need to exist. Fair. But given that it does exist, it's got a bunch of characters I really like. Mm-hmm. It's got really cool space battles. It's got cool planet sequences. And I do find myself invested in the narrative. Even though I see the movie as completely superfluous, I enjoy the ride. Mm-hmm. And it felt like a Star Wars to me. I watched it in the movie theater and I was watching a Star Wars. Yeah, for me, this movie is like a solid B. It's not going to even get that plus. It's not a B plus, but it's a solid B. I really enjoyed this. Okay, okay. So where that stands on the list then, mm-hmm. top to bottom is now Rogue One handily in the lead. The first one I felt really clearly good about putting on top. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two is Solo, which is going in reverse order at this point. Number three is episode three. Number four is episode two. Number five, all the way at the bottom. Will it stay there? I don't know. There's some rough stuff coming up. Episode one, The Phantom Menace. All right. I I will be... If you put stuff below... Well, we'll get there when we get there. But... We got I, an episode nine to talk about, my friend. We do have an episode nine to talk about. That's... Yeah, that's understandable. Okay. Um... Where am I going to put this thing, though, Mark? Is I'm very curious. I can't, like, I have not been able to get a real, because you said sort of at the top that your feeling on this movie was largely meh. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like, you were consistent with that take throughout the chat. But because of that, I can't get a vibe for where it belongs on your list. Yeah. Like, Normally, I can make a pretty good guess by the end, at least within the relative framework of where you'll put it. I don't I I don't know what I'm guessing this time. Yeah, this is weird because I think on paper it's a better movie than all of these movies that we've watched so far. And I'm trying to figure out if it, if personal enjoyment is going to factor into this for me sure. at all. Because I did almost fall asleep during this movie. And, yeah, and that did that not often happen. What it comes down to for us is like, I just enjoy this one or I just don't. Yeah. And I don't think that happened on anything else on this list. I need to try and balance out the highs. Like if we were going for highest highs, then it would be Phantom Menace because that had, so I can't really look at it that way because that has dual of fates and that's the, like, that's so good. Yeah. And that's at the bottom of our list. So that doesn't really make sense to me to do it that way. I think, and I feel like Solo has more interesting characters than this film. Okay. Okay. But, but is definitely messier. The biggest problem this film has for me is pacing and it not committing to its tone. I know people are, I know this is Star Wars, so people are going to be mad at me no matter what I do. Someone is very upset that I have Phantom Menace at the very bottom right now. Someone <laughs> out there unabashedly loves that from their childhood and is very sour at me so like it doesn't really matter um so now that we're living in 2021 and nothing matters anymore i think i have to follow my heart (laughs) and my heart is telling me that while the movie was worse as in terms of being a movie it was better at everything else so i think i yeah 
my new I'm gonna go from the bottom up. We we do these things in reverse order from yep. each other often. My number five is episode one of Phantom Menace. Still way down there. I really I thought it was a joke. I thought people hated Jar Jar as a joke, and it wasn't really that bad until I went back to it, and it was really that bad. <laughs> My number four is a contentious take with Revenge of the Sith way down there. Uh, number three, Attack of the Clones. I know people really hate that one, and it edged out a lot of these others. And then maybe my second most controversial of this list so far is at number two, I'm going to put Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Ooh, spicy. Okay. Because it's, it is better structurally as a movie than Solo, but I was never this bored during Solo and, (laughs) and Solo had a consistent tone that it was going for. And I felt like I cared about those characters a little bit more for whatever reason. (laughs) I like that. I think that's very fair. And you established your criticisms, I think, up front. And our review of the movie bore them out. I think they're very legitimate uh, legitimate criticisms with the structure of the movie. Mm-hmm. I, I hope that's consistent. I hope people can at least understand why I'm making this decision, even when they disagree with it. I am trepidatious to hear what anyone thinks of any of these Star Wars episodes, but we'll find out eventually. Yeah, it is the most uh, apprehensive I have been about anything we've done on this show. <laughs> yep. You tr- you tried to warn me when I floated the idea, and I didn't <laughs> listen in my hubris. I I said, Mark, it'll be fine. It, this it's we're just two jolly old chaps, and then we started doing them. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> oh no, what have we done? We're too deep in now, though. We are. We can't. I mean, they're not out yet. We could cancel before anyone hears <laughs> any of these. Um, technically, it'll be a lost mm-hmm. season that will release someday. <laughs> right? Just they they just did all the Star Wars episodes and didn't put them out. Why? <laughs> oh, because their opinions are garbage. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, speaking of garbage opinions, I guess what's next. What's next? Uh, Next up is going to be Star Wars Episode 4, A New Hope. The Third One Sucks is a Retrograde Orbit radio production. If you like the show, make sure to rate and review it on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps us out. Follow us on Twitter at The Third One Sucks or email us at thethirdonesucks at gmail.com where we can chat about episodes and take your suggestions on what you would like us to cover in the future. That's the, the number three, rd1sucks at gmail.com. If you aren't already tired of our voices, you can check out our other projects, including Mindful Self-Indulgence, where Dan interviews folks about the media that has most impacted their lives, and Mount Olympus, where Mark and a panel of friends watches and reviews the Hercules and Xena television franchises, along with the rest of the Retrograde Orbit Radio family of podcasts at retrogradeorbitradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again in the sequel. He is, all he does is kick. He is like all that is what I know kick. Donnie Yen for. He's he is just he kicks. That's what Ip Man is is nothing but kicks. All he does is kick. It's you know, really good. He's just a man of many kicks, and all of them are good kicks. He's Elena from Street Fighter Three. He all, all the buttons Absolutely. kick. Absolutely.